Hello and welcome everyone to Drewly Noted. Uh, as always, I'm Drew Orland, and today I'm joined by another fantastic guest. I've been looking forward to having this person on. He's a great friend. We go way back. He's a, an activist, an academic, uh, just an all-around really smart guy. One of those people who, you know, like pushes you to be better in your own life. We also are we're birthday buddies. We share a uh, the same birthday, so maybe we'll talk about that a little bit. But um, uh, yeah, without further... <laughs> I keep saying that, but I keep getting it wrong. Uh, yeah, here he is, Carlos Rodriguez. <laughs> Hello, everybody. So excited to be here. How are you doing today, man? I'm fantastic. I just came back from downtown Dallas. There was an event that was going on with some good folks from the Sunrise Movement and an organization called Latinx Dallas to show some support for progressive causes and kind of show the, the ground cell of support amongst young people for progressive policies for DFW. So that was really exciting to see. You're you're out there and you're doing it in the world. <laughs> of course, yeah. Socially distanced, but we're doing it. <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, keeping in mind the global pandemic going on. That's awesome. Um, happy uh, early birthday. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. And likewise to you as well. How, how are you going to celebrate this year? Well, it's it's a it's a weird year for sure, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. It's uh it's not like I can do anything crazy or uh like normal. So I think I I've I've become more um how, how should I put this? I feel like in the in the quarantine, I've I've just become more open to like celebrating the like small stuff. I think like maybe once Definitely. upon a time, I was like, oh, it's just another birthday. Like we don't have to do anything crazy or like certain holidays it's like oh it's just like this mm -hmm. like don't we don't have to go all out or like do crazy stuff but i feel like especially this past year <laughs> it's been so important to like w any chance you get to like celebrate the little things or like uh small victories it's like i'm like more aware of the importance of that now so i think um yeah maybe i'm i'll i'll treat myself to something on my birthday or you know i i, I wish i could be surrounded by friends and family of course but uh Obviously, that's not an option right now. Right, yeah. No, I think also the proliferation of Zoom birthdays has also <laughs> been really exciting because at the same time, they're usually, like for birthdays, you're limited to the people that are in your neighborhood or right in your area yeah. living near you. And at least over the past year, getting to do Zoom birthdays for folks that aren't living anywhere near me, but that I'm still close with has also been really exciting. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, just as I was talking about like, oh, it, it's closing all these doors. You're right that like other opportunities have arisen. And it's like, yeah, now it's more normal to hop on a Zoom call with people like across the world and, and celebrate. Yeah. Okay, good point. <laughs> um, do you have any special plans for your for your birthday? No, I, I think I'll probably just try to get some folks together for a call and uh, yeah. catch up and say hello to everybody. But yeah, that's that's keeping it low key. Sure maybe bake something I've really gotten into baking <laughs> and cooking over the past couple of months. So I'll probably do something like that. So great. Yeah, that's cool. It's too bad. We're like past the point of like special birthdays where it's like, Oh, okay. Now on this day I can do this. So let's, let's right. go out. And, <laughs> like I, I forget what the day uh, or what age it is that you can like rent a car, but that's like the, the last big milestone. <laughs> that's right. Wait, man, I'll, I'll have to do that when it comes, when I'm turning 25, <laughs> I'm going to have to go to enterprise and rent a car <laughs> with like a little party hat on and <laughs> like streamers and stuff. That's right. It'll be a whole thing. We can do that. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, I'm super excited to talk to you today. Um, 
I want to give you the chance if if you have a um, topic or a jumping off point that you think would be fun to talk about. Uh, if not, I've got plenty of questions for you as well. So uh, yeah, well, I'm I'm happy to you know talk about whatever's on your mind uh, and then <laughs> go from there for sure. Okay, cool. Well, definitely one one thing that I wanted to talk to you about um, because I know you're um, so involved with it. Uh, and it's one of those things that like, you're definitely one of those people that pushes me to be more um, active um, is in, in in terms of like political activism. Uh, oh, yeah. So yeah, can you maybe just give a little uh, bit of, oh, well, I guess I should provide background too if, <laughs> if somebody doesn't know who you are. Uh, Carlos and I have known each other since middle school, I guess. Um, yeah. yeah, we grew up, you know, just down the street from each other. Um, we've been in a lot of the same activities, band. Uh, and, uh, yeah, band, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, just, uh, hanging out outside of school and, uh, we've kept in touch through, through college and, and beyond. And, um, yeah, that's, that's how we sort of know each other, but maybe y you can provide a better background on sort of like maybe how you got involved in sort of the movements that you have and, and why, and, and what you like about them and, and take that however you want. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Well, I, for me, I think one of the big reasons I started getting politically involved was I was really drawn to foreign policy. I, back in college, when I did my study abroad, I fell kind of serendipitously into this group of, of students and young professionals that cared a lot about ending nuclear testing. And that was just something that at the time seemed, I, I, I thought that, you know, nuclear policy, nuclear tensions, it kind of ended with the Cold War. Mm. And this getting to know that, you know, the reality was so different, that there were all these tensions um, across the globe, not just with between nuclear weapon states, but just also between, you know, this, this disparities between nuclear and non-nuclear weapon states. And so that those kind of conflicts in the way that they weren't, you know, really talked about in everyday life, I, I found really interesting that kind of disconnect. And so mm -hmm. I, I really fell in love with, with um, foreign policy and diplomacy just because it seemed like this was a way that people were able to talk about really difficult problems and come up with, with new solutions. And then, you know, the more that I kept digging and, and getting involved in that, the more I also started realizing the impact that so much of, you know, U.S. domestic policy has in setting an agenda on the world stage and kind of setting an example. And so that brought me back to looking at local politics and local organizing. And so that was kind of my journey was going from looking at foreign policy and then seeing that, um, you know, how, how does that get impacted by the things that are going on at home? Very cool. And, and well said. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, you talk about sort of uh, getting involved with this group uh, yeah. of uh, anti-nuclear i i know the the acronym the ctbto right yes yes so that's that's an organization it's an international organization based in vienna and they work um to kind of they they operate a, a verification regime that helps ensure that if any nation is kind of testing or detonating a nuclear weapon the international community will, will know about it and the ctbto youth group is this part this collective of, of young people that want to kind of support science diplomacy and also come together to discuss ways that they can themselves in, in you know their own communities bring forth and give some visibility to conversations around nonproliferation and nuclear arms control and those kinds of 
of topics and, and help, you know, kind of bring some more public awareness to this. So I was really fascinated by how a group of young, really passionate individuals could really make a change. And, and that's what kind of drew me to that and, and figuring mm -hmm. out how, how can you bring a new perspective to this problem that has seemed entrenched for so long. Yeah. That, that's so cool. Uh, you're definitely uh, among like the people I know. I feel like you're the most plugged into. Um, well, I, I think it's really cool that you're plugged into not just like activism, but like global activism. Yeah. Uh, like most people I know don't have like a network of friends like around the world who are like interested <laughs> in the same. Like, I mean, maybe th this days it's these days it's easier to find your like group like that. Right. Um, but like that, uh, and uh, we could talk also about your your time in in. Uh, with the Schwartzman program, uh, mm -hmm. but like I feel like you 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 have a um, such a cool network of like people around the world who are interested in the same stuff as you. Um, yeah. And but yeah, like you talked about, and then also being able to tie it into like local issues, I think is that's so cool. Well, I think that's one of the 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 things that I found so interesting about this group is that a lot of people kind of share really similar interest or or even if they have different viewpoints but there's not usually a, a place or a setting where you can have these discussions because they're they're not usually so talked about or even when they are it's it's in r really kind of places that seem inaccessible different international forums and so i think it's it's incredible to see that now just within the field of national security there's been a bigger opening and a, and a focus by people that are in positions of power and they're looking and they're seeing that there that there is a disconnect and that they do need to bring um, you know new voices into the discussion into the fold and so i think it's been missing for quite some time but now it's starting to to become more evident that you need to have these spaces for dialogue for people that you know may not work in the field but that are still impacted by it and that want to have a voice and, and get informed and be a part of the discussion. Yeah. So that's something that I think is like very exciting now versus a few, you know, five, six years ago when these these settings or, or these groups didn't necessarily exist, but now that there's more attention on them and, and more of an interest in really carrying them out and, and bringing them to the forefront. Sure. I was thinking about also, um you recently completed a master's program in China. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm curious about, well, I'm curious about like so much of your, your time there, but also, um, you know, talking about sort of how things are changing in like recent years. Um, uh, and I won't rehash what you said, cause you said it better than I did or than I will. But do you find that, um, you know, being in like an academic setting, like you, you did your undergrad here in, in the U S uh, mm -hmm. and then obviously your master's abroad, do you find that like the obviously there's there's a lot of differences between like an undergrad program and a master's program, um, definitely. But in terms of like the academic environment, like the mm -hmm. the students you were around, the teachers you were with, do you find that? Because um, I, I assume that uh, some of the classes you took in undergrad and graduate school kind of overlap in terms of like subject matter. So mm. do you? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm bad at articulating it, but do you find that there's like um, different approaches to uh, like international cooperation based on like where you're studying or the people you're surrounded by? I think, I think so. I, one of the, the things I'm, I'm really grateful for having, you know, studied here at home at a public institution in Texas, just because mm -hmm. 
there's so many opportunities and per, as, as just being being a student and, and at a university that encourages international exploration like UT Dallas, uh, so much of the student population has um, comes from a really diverse background. There's a lot of international students. And for me, particularly in you know the, the business school, it's it's, it's unique. So my master's in global affairs, my undergrad was in global business, but they definitely had like a pretty different focuses just because, you know, even in global business, you're, you're talking about, you know, global trends, but it's more focused on, you know, from, from a corporate perspective or whether it's accounting standards or how global markets move or mm. how you function, you know, with a human resources department when you're at a multi multinational company. So it was really exciting kind of, but, but more on an, an individual micro scale, whereas in grad school, especially with the Schwarzman program, you're looking at things from this really 30,000 foot perspective and, sure. and having really broad discussions and, and they're both different. So I'm glad I had that um, exposure to more of like a private sector focused um, academic sure. setting in, in undergrad um, and in grad school, getting to talk a little bit more about public policy and have happy my focus. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I, I don't mean to just like run down your resume, <laughs> but yeah. I, I was also thinking about um, you recently worked on like a very local campaign, like political yes, campaign. Um, and I definitely want to hear um, a little bit more about that, like how you got involved in that what sort of what it what it's like to be um like <laughs> coming from such a like 30,000 foot view and then to, to like as local as possible like yeah. um how is that sort of um uh, I, I mean you kind of talked about it but do the same sort of like uh do you have the same mentality to both like <laughs> situations or like do you, can you carry something from your master's program into like this like local politics like they're totally different but i what i i think what i realized when i was doing my master's when i was abroad just my, I, I love foreign policy so much, but at the same time, a lot of what is happening and the way that the U.S. seems to be driving its foreign policy is through its like domestic considerations. So mm. folks that are in Congress um, who are setting or, or providing funds for um, different foreign policy initiatives or, you know, disagreeing with, um, you know, the diplomatic side of, of, on, of State Department, um, whichever agencies are conducting different foreign policy initiatives, uh, a, a lot of those are driven by domestic considerations. And so I had, I, had, I had to kind of after finishing grad school, wanted to dive deeper and look at, well, what, what are the things that are affecting, you know, domestically what's happening in Texas? And that was what kind of made me shift my focus from looking outward to figuring out, you know, what, what's going on in my own community and what, what are people talking about and, and, and worried about and what's driving them to go out to the polls and vote. And so that's what really got me interested. But what I think <laughs> if I were to if I were to sum up the link, the actual link um, yeah. between those two, um, it had to be and this is it kind of really unexpected, but it had to be the Senate primary that was going on in Massachusetts between Ed Markey and Joe Kennedy. And so Ed Markey is someone that has been in the Senate for a really long time, or, or he's been in politics for a really long time, not really well known, um, but, you know, with really progressive views and a really stellar foreign policy record, especially on nuclear nonproliferation. And so um, all of a sudden I see that um, he's getting primaried by Joe Kennedy, who, right. you know, 
Joan Kennedy the Third heir of this, um, you know, political dynasty. Mm-hmm. And um, Ed Markey turns out to also have been the co-author of the Green New Deal last year. That's right. So yeah. I looked at, at what was going on, and I thought to myself, you know, this is really this is really troubling. You have one of the most progressive senators in the United States who wrote one of the most bold progressive pieces of legislation, and you know, really put all his political capital behind it. Mm-hmm. And he's getting primary primaried by someone that can't really articulate why he wants to be in the Senate. Right. <laughs> so, so I I saw that I'm like, well, I, if there's one thing I can do, I don't I don't have a job right now, but maybe I can just start volunteering and making sure. phone calls to people in Massachusetts to tell them how awesome Ed Markey is. And mm-hmm. so that's how I started making a little bit of the transition to more of the electoral politics side, just by mm-hmm. phone banking for. Ed Markey. And it turned out (laughs) that as part of this campaign, there had been this groundswell of youth support uh, around, they called it the Markeyverse. (laughs) It was all these young people (laughs) that were coming together to support him because, you know, he he was definitely, I mean, he didn't have a lot of youth appeal before, but he was someone that was fighting for policies that um, are really appealing to uh, young people, whether it's climate justice or racial um, justice or, Mm -hmm. you know, political reform. These are things that speak to a lot of folks in our generation. And so it was really exciting to see that there was this ground level of support for him. And that's what really kept me coming back was seeing all the energy from all these other youth, young volunteers that Mm -hmm. um, were making calls and going out and doing electronically or digitally, basically, the canvassing and the um, work that used to be done by door knocking and canvassing. And so it was really funny that this kind of Senate primary in a completely different state that I'd never really, you know, even been to before (laughs) was what got me interested in more of the domestic side of policy. Very cool. That seems like so long ago. (laughs) Like I know it was only like (laughs) last year, but it It was definitely, yeah, it was all of August, but that was, so I graduated in June and Mm -hmm. then I started kind of paying attention to this primary race in in the summer. And then by August, I think the last two weeks of August, I was um, on the phones pretty much every other day for <laughs> doing phone banks and calling folks in Massachusetts. And, mm-hmm. and had, it was really interesting because at the time I had never, I had never phone banked before. And I went from that, from doing that kind of volunteering work to two months later being a, a communications manager for a state house race here in, in Collin County. So it was really mm-hmm. exciting to see that there was um, you know, room and for for doing this kind of work from from a more long term perspective. That's awesome. Um, you were involved in the uh, Bloomberg campaign at, uh, early on, right? Well, no, no, Michael Bloomberg. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm so, I I hate that guy. I'm really glad that he left the, the race. I did not understand that. One of his staffers actually came and canvassed our neighborhood and knocked yeah. on our doors, and I was just so befuddled. And I. I think the worst part about the Bloomberg campaign is that he promised all his staffers that he would pay them through November, regardless of who who won the primary. And as soon as he dropped out, he closed his office in Dallas. And all those people that were relying on that campaign for jobs were really left out on their own, hung out to dry. So, yeah, yeah, Michael Bloomberg sucks. (laughs) Yeah, I I knew that would be your reaction. So I wasn't. You know what? It's somewhat comforting to when you get like a reality check or something like that because sometimes uh, i don't know it's easy for people to build up like if somebody has like uh 
such a history of like wealth or power to assume right. like oh they're smart and they're, they're like right. they've like earned this and so like we should defer to their like judgment and mm-hmm. it's so i don't know it's there's something so like poetic justice about like someone as rich <laughs> as him being right. like having the hubris to like try like surely he had polling that told him like nobody likes you <laughs> like of course like this isn't gonna work but to 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 see someone pour like so much money into something and having mm-hmm. no workouts like oh like people that rich are like also just as stupid as the rest of us <laughs> it's just they have right. more money to throw around i remember driving down the dallas north hallway listening to 96.3 which is one of the country stations here in dallas and hearing as for michael bloomberg the, the the week that he decided to run and i was just so shocked and there were billboards like off of 75 and on dallas north hallway also kind of you know being like mike go mike go mike all these bloomberg ads and i was just so shocked but you know is he someone that spent hundreds of millions of dollars trying to get himself uh <laughs> really close to the nomination and i was yeah. so excited to yeah see that you could try that hard and and, and still fail because you yeah. have a horrible background <laughs> yeah it's it's kind of comforting that it's like as much as as uh poisonous as like money is in uh, right. democracy and like in politics it's like well, you can't just outright buy any election you want. Like you still have to do the work, which is <laughs> like okay. That's at least that's a little bit comforting. <laughs> fair, fair enough. True. Yeah. Um. So, so uh, about your um, the local campaign that you worked on. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you get involved in that? And like, I, I don't know. To me, that's always seemed like um. Uh, I, I like understand that there's people who run for local office and like put in all that work. But right. I've, I've like never been connected to that like uh, uh, ecosystem of like um, local activism. So I'm wondering how how you got involved in that. And uh, um, yeah, yeah. Well, I remember September 1st was the day that Ed Markey had the primary in Massachusetts, and he ended up coming out and completely, you know, winning and decimating Joe Kennedy in the election. It was such it brought so much joy to me to see that this was another one of these like kind of what you were saying, you can have big name recognition and you can have a lot of money, but it was really exciting to see that in this case, the, a candidate with stronger policy really came out on top. And so once I was having that, that, that campaign was over, I was like, thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I need to continue this. I got so much, I derived so much energy from this. I need to find someone here, like locally that, that shares some of those kind of policy positions and see what I can do to, to push them forward. And so that's how I came across Lorenzo Sanchez, who was running in uh, a house district here in Plano, and it covers part of Plano, Allen, Richardson, and uh, a little sliver of Dallas and Garland. And so he was something, someone that was running on a really a, a really progressive platform, and mm-hmm. I really saw that as 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 really energizing because Collin County has been has lo- has been looked at as a Republican stronghold for so many decades. We're home right. to like. Ken Paxton, who's our current attorney general, who's <laughs> under yeah. indictment for securities fraud. Go Texas. <laughs> I, I love like, all of my statewide representatives. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, you know, this is, these are the kind of politicians that come from Collin County. And here is someone that was actively running with a, a platform that was really different from anything that had been seen before in this area. But mm-hmm. that was really, you know, focused on on economic justice and and I, I love that and wanted to um, contribute to that. So I think that's how I ended up. Um, yeah, so after the, the Markey campaign ended, I ended up volunteering and making calls on for the Lorenzo campaign and then 
um, it just kind of you know, happened serendipitously that they, they were looking for um, someone to help out with communications. And that happened to be a, a, a skill set that I had from, from previous work experience and sure. my undergrad in, in marketing, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. I love writing and all things social media. So that, yeah. that was really exciting to get to apply those skills to something that really I felt um, passionate about and I mm-hmm. thought saw would do good for the community. Awesome. Yeah, you're you're definitely a a, a communications expert. Uh, if you don't follow Carlos on Instagram, <laughs> he he's got some great content out there. He's always doing. Uh, he, he's up on the latest trends, and he he's always <laughs> in the kitchen cooking up something that I looks do. intricate and impressive, and <laughs> more than I'll ever be able to to to, to bake or cook. I tried making these blue wave brownies for the inauguration. They came out. They came out really well. I think by the second day after I let them cool. So, but yeah, they were. There were these raspberry cheesecake brownies. So I found like a recipe online for them, and they were yeah. like a regular brownie batter with like a cheesecake kind of topping, and then raspberries that were like dotted on top. And so, came out really delicious, and I enjoyed those during the inauguration. <laughs> that's awesome is is that like um is, is this like a new quarantine hobby like uh baking definitely okay. <laughs> definitely i think i enjoyed <laughs> it before so. now i'm like loving it a lot more um getting to to try new foods and and new styles of cooking so i've enjoyed that a lot using sure. new ingredients and cooking a lot of stuff that makes me like i started making a lot more chinese food at home and steam buns and dumplings so <laughs> <laughs> things that remind me uh, of grad school. <laughs> sure. Uh, w- when you came home from from China, did you, um, uh, were there like things that you really craved that you like couldn't get here um, or like Ooh, had trouble finding? I, I know Plano, Plano has a like better than y- your average <laughs> Texan city, like track record of like great, like uh, Asian, like uh, uh, supermarkets and, and, mm-hmm. and like uh, outlet malls and stuff. But um yeah, sorry, I, I interrupted you. What were you saying? No, no, the food, I definitely, um, food that I missed the most, the steam buns was definitely the first one. So that was the first yeah. thing that I set my mind to learn how to make. And I got some bamboo steaming uh, racks from from online so that I could steam my, my own buns here at home. And oh, there's like circle, and... circle like uh, wooden yes, things? Yes, yes, oh, definitely. That's, that's so cool. So that was, that was really fun. And I ended up, just making like pork buns, mm-hmm. pork pork and vegetable buns, and I still got you know a long way to go before I make them as perfect as <laughs> the ones from street vendors in sure, Beijing. Sure. But yeah, uh, they were still really delicious. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, it, it makes me laugh because um, yeah, thinking about like um, when I was in Togo, um, especially like when I was in my like small village, it's like the things that. Um, I think early on I was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to be really proactive about like learning to cook like local cuisine and like do everything like, like, like the people here do. Uh, and mm-hmm. it was very early on that I was like, well, I don't have a lot of cooking experience to begin with. <laughs> and that's, that's with like a fully stocked kitchen and like really nice equipment and stuff. Um, right. so yeah, I, I quickly found out that, um, you know, me attempting to recreate what the old lady down the street was making for like, I could, then I could buy for like two cents. I was right. like, what am I doing? I'm like creating a bad version of this thing and I'm spending like way more than, than she's charging it for it. So, um, but yeah, now I wish I could make some nice 
fufu. Uh, Ooh, <laughs> delicious. Yeah. I'm trying to, yeah, other than the steam buns, I mean, I would eat steam buns whenever I could find them, but I, because I, I think they were just like so filling and always really warm and mm. delicious, tasty. <laughs> um, sure. But I, I definitely, I'm, I'm, I started making dumplings a little bit, but uh, I need to perfect my folding technique. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's a big thing for Chinese New Year, which is coming up in February. So I have probably about two or three weeks left to do, <laughs> do some more perfecting before I, I can make them again for Chinese New Year's. Yeah, you can have like uh, practice dough balls that if you're just like sitting on your computer watching something, you could just be like <laughs> folding the whole time. Right, fidgeting. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> I'm going to look into buying that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's always so impressive to me when you see like, not, not like an assembly line, but like I remember when I was in Shanghai, there was this mm -hmm. one like really famous um like uh soup dumpling place mm. in uh in like these this like nice like uh chinese gardens area and mm -hmm. um you could go and it was one of those where like the back room is like a glass panel so you could watch them as they're making them in the back in the back mm -hmm. and it, they have like this whole system of like the people who would like fill the buns and the people who would uh mm -hmm. make the little folds and stuff and to see them work so quickly it's like there, there's something cool about um almost like watching like a how it's made episode, like watching mm. something go through an assembly line, but seeing right. like humans who are like, they've done it like so many times that they could like close their eyes and like yeah. make a perfect uh, whatever, you know? Of course. Talent they perfected <laughs> for years on years. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask too, uh, while we're on the subject of you being in China, uh, um, obviously, unfortunately you didn't get to, complete your master's program as, as mm -hmm. intended. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I, I'm curious, I know I've talked to you a little bit about sort of your experience coming home and mm -hmm. being like on the ground when everything kind of got crazy there. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, when was it first like, uh, <laughs> how, how much time was there between like you finding out that this was like a big deal and mm -hmm. like you guys having to come home? We came home at the end of January last year, so I spent my birthday last year. Actually, on January 30th was the day that I flew home. And oh, so wow. it's been my, my longest birthday to date because I woke <laughs> up in China and then I boarded the plane around like noon. And when I <laughs> nice. landed in the U.S., it was 3 p.m. and it was still my birthday. <laughs> It'll definitely be the longest birthday I'll, I'll ever have. <laughs> just because yeah. I... You know, if you, if you just stay in the air and keep flying around the world, your birthday never ends. <laughs> <laughs> right. I should try that sometime. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. Uh, uh, but it was it was great. And I think the moment we realized it, I mean, it, it, it was taken really seriously the first few weeks when it broke out in, mm -hmm. in China. And I came home to the U.S. because I figured I would be safer here. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> little did I know the irony of the situation that, there yeah. was people here at home that wouldn't take it seriously. And that was really shocking coming yeah. coming and seeing that people didn't <clears throat> really seem to uh, greet it with with that much caution. And even to today, there's still people that just won't and, and will just disregard it and think it's a hoax and yeah. whatnot. Even a lot of people, people. <laughs> that have, have, have had um, people in their communities that died from it. And, and I, that's just um, really bewildering to me because it, it didn't yeah. none of this had to really happen and it did, but you know, that's on the failure of an administration that kind of emboldened and let it all happen. Yeah. It's, 
it's amazing to me that like there were so many moments that I was like, okay, maybe people aren't taking it seriously now, but like it just it's a matter of it getting like serious enough or like it affecting enough people in your community that you like realize. Mm -hmm. And like it it just never reached that point where people like understood how or maybe they mm -hmm. I don't know I, there's so much disinformation out there and like I, I we can't um yeah we we can't diagnose why it is the way it is because there's so many different yeah. factors but um, but I remember so the a few days after it had been announced like that the the there was like a, a new disease coming out of Wuhan and there were some people in Beijing that had been affected by it um and you know the whole city kind of ground to a halt and I remember going to because I used to ride the metro a lot I love public transportation <laughs> I remember getting yeah. out of this metro station and the whole thing just smelling like straight bleach and really? it's because they had been like scrubbing away and cleaning everything and so yeah that was something that you know is is, is I I didn't see any of you know that kind that kind of response didn't happen here um initially yeah. and, and for quite a long time where it was kind of taken as, oh, everyone will do the right thing. And there were a lot of people that didn't do the right thing and <laughs> still yeah. kind of flouted any kind of precautions. To... Yeah. It's, uh, it just dawned on me. It's, it's kind of, uh, you're like, you're in a very unique situation. Like you're one of very few people who experienced sort of like the early stages Mm -hmm. and lockdown in China and then like came mm -hmm. back here and experienced all of the <laughs> sort of <laughs> the laxness of our approach, you know, right. um, like, but while you were still there was, were you, um, were they implementing like quarantines and lockdowns and, and what did that look like for you as a student? Yeah. Uh, so for our you know, college, we, we basically were just wearing masks anytime we were, we were around other people and, mm -hmm. and if we needed to go grocery shopping, um, I had had some hand sanitizer in my room that I had brought with me, and so I was able to carry that around um, and and disinfected. But yeah, on the day that I left is when they were one of the universities next to us um, basically locked down their whole campus, and people weren't even able to go back to their dorms. Like, so if they had happened wow. to be off campus when the shutdown happened, all the stuff that they had in their rooms in their dorms was just you know they had to they didn't have any access to it they couldn't get back in and so yeah. our our university you had to get screened like there would be temperature screenings and again this was january 2020 so um yeah. it's it's it was just those kind of things temperature screenings wearing masks and uh, some some kind of lockdowns from our our, our university didn't do that as drastically immediately, but there were plenty that did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like hitting myself in the head because I'm so like uh, America centric. Because <laughs> like in my mind uh, for so long, I'm like, oh yeah, this all started back in March when I came home. It's like, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> this was happening for months. It just, March is when it finally got to you. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, I think, you know, I see a lot of, of even even when I came back, there was, there was all of this kind of anti-Asian in yeah. American sentiment that was happening where people were, you know, not going to Chinese restaurants anymore, even though there was like no direct connection. And so dumb. All these, yeah. So, uh, and, and all of these things were happening and it was almost like really surreal that people would kind of take that attitude and response when it was yeah. just like their 
they're American. They live in our communities. They yeah. may not have even been to China or, you know, for yeah. years, and they're still um, being impacted, not by the disease, but by this really <laughs> anti-Asian sentiment. Yeah. Sometimes it astounds me how how dumb people can be <laughs> to the point where, like, you almost start to wonder, it's like, are they, like, surely they're not this dumb. They're just racist and they want a reason to be racist. <laughs> like it's, I don't know. Um, it reminds me of, um, I, I just cannot get over the uh, the tweet that Ted Cruz just uh, is getting, like, roasted about. Did you see the one about the Paris the Agreement? The Paris Agreement? Like, it's the, I can't get over how dumb it is. <laughs> right, right. Like, an agreement named after a foreign city doesn't mean that it benefits that <laughs> agreement <laughs> or that, like, those people. It's 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 absolutely, you know, backwards. Yeah, it's like, uh, um, I think AOC tweeted something about, like, the Geneva Convention. It's not about, <laughs> right. like, people who live in Geneva. It's just, right. And it's like, you know, Ted Cruz isn't dumb. Like, well, right. I, sometimes I question it, but, <laughs> like, he went to Harvard. I mean... <laughs> he's not an idiot. So he must, he's being, like... I don't know. <laughs> he came, so he came to speak to our class when, when I was in DC. Um, and w one of the students asked him a question about why all of a sudden he was kowtowing to Donald Trump when he was so viciously, um, you know, working against him and calling him out, rightly so, during the primary when he himself was seeking the nomination. But once Donald Trump became the nominee, it seemed that Ted Cruz was just like switched everything and, and, his whole attitude was to appease him and, and pretend that nothing that he was doing was, was wrong. And he, he said to us that he like, he, he had to put aside those personal kind of disagreements and work for the greater good. And that was like a really confusing phrase because it's like <laughs> the greater good of what? <laughs> and, and I think that was, like, it's really easy when you're in a position like that to let it slide because if it's someone from your own party or you can may find, you know, benefits from, from laying aside. But I think it's overall hurtful to, um, you know, not only our democracy, but like just communities across the U.S. Not yeah. calling that out. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, oh, I wanted to talk to you about uh, the, uh, the the recent sort of... Uh, what's the term tete-a-tete <laughs> um, -tete that you got into or <laughs> the recent sort of squabble you got into with a, a local politician I'm curious uh, how that came to be well I I think I was really shocked after January 6th to see that you know there was I feel this collective just disbelief that was really happening and I felt shocked you know I can't believe this is going on right now and that people are like okay with this or, or you know not not you know have been spreading conspiracy theories and telling people that this, the 2020 election was rigged mm -hmm. and that all of a sudden this happens and now they want to pretend that it's it, it didn't they want to move on and, and, and pretend it never happened and so i was really shocked that there were people in like my community that had those same views and one of them was a city councilman who had written some, you know, pretty um, hateful things online. And so I went to a city council meeting and called him out on it. And that seemed to <laughs> get under his skin. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, it was, it was just, I think, I, I think it's useful for people to just be 
be aware of what's happening in their own communities. And yeah. often people that run for local office have bigger aspirations and they use these local post, posts as a way to catapult into, um, you know, they have political ambition and, and yeah. ambition and this is how they start. And if, if this stuff is let, is, is let slide mm-hmm. um, at a local level, then kind of gives them um, impunity and they can, if, if they get the idea that they can do, you know, whatever they want, whatever. Um, yeah. And, and they'll get away with it. And I think that's the wrong impression. And you need to be accountable for the words that you say. And um, that's, that's ultimately, I think <laughs> what I did was just yeah. hold them accountable and, and tell them that it was irresponsible to say those things. Sure. Yeah. It's, um, uh, you know what I was saying earlier about Bloomberg, how like it's sometimes refreshing to like realize that people in like, uh, situations of like great wealth or power, like are Mm -hmm. just, are just as human and just as, as dumb sometimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like definitely in, I don't know if it's the rise of like, uh, social media or like being able to like interact with our politicians more Mm -hmm. but the veneer that used to exist um especially i I think over any kind of like elected office or like Mm -hmm. higher position like (laughs) and and maybe it's a good thing gets erased (laughs) um yeah but like to um i don't know i just definitely i think i have realized in recent years and i think a lot of people have that like just because somebody is like in a position of power or like uh, an elected office that doesn't mean that doesn't make them smarter than you or more right like and a lot of times they're not <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. maybe like opportunistic or like something worked out for them and right. it, um yeah and especially on a local level like realizing the kind of people like i don't know in your mind like you 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 build up these ideals like these positions of like president senator mm-hmm. it's like very important like like and and there still exists i think a certain respect for like those mm-hmm. really really high levels but like it shocks me i don't know even just coming down to like the level of like a congressional representative like mm-hmm. some of the people they <laughs> they they let through these gates you know it's like wow the right. the the bar really is the the bar is so low as it it doesn't even exist right um, yeah I mean, you look at marjorie taylor green who's uh oh the representative who's like a, a outspoken supporter of QAnon and um, all, all sorts of, um, you know, people that, yeah, they, they're, they're, I think the current governor of Montana, he was elected, you know, after body slamming a journalist from the guardian. (laughs) Oh, uh, (laughs) Greg, Greg, yeah, Yeah, he body slams a a journalist because he asked a tough question and lo and behold, Three years later, he's elected governor of his state. You know, yeah. how does that happen? It shouldn't. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's important. I mean, it's really easy to go to a city council meeting and um, speak. You mm-hmm. j- you just need to sign up. Now it's on Zoom. So all yeah. you do is register online. And, and it's really, um, you'd be surprised if you just listen the kind of things that these people will say. And, and yeah. if it's something that doesn't sit right with you, it's totally okay to call it out and, and, um, yeah, take hold them accountable for that. Yeah, I I think more people should just look up their local politicians and see what they're saying. And if there's stuff that they don't agree with, just go to the city council meeting and call them out for it. <laughs> it's like the, it's the simplest thing to do, um, and it's a really fulfilling way to make make people, um, you know, they just hold people accountable. And and if 
if everyone could do that, we'd, we'd have um, a lot more responsible the government, at least. <laughs> yeah. Because I think so. One of the things that I loved before getting involved this election cycle, I didn't really know that many um, progresses in, in in Plano and Collin County. Mm-hmm. And this just seeing um, that there are these communities of people that are now meeting virtually. So it's easier than ever to get access to them. But that there, these people do exist even in areas that are traditionally really Republican. There are people that share, you know, really similar values that that relate to social justice and equality and so seeing that was really reassuring and and gave me a a lot of hope that there are these people out there and so i think when it comes to politics it's just finding out how you can mobilize those communities so that they can stay engaged but at the same time i mean the hard thing about mobilizing for elections is that it can be like really sometimes it can seem transactional because they're the politicians can just make promises and then if there's no follow-on after the election then they there's like how how are they going to be held accountable and and it's it's hard to keep pressure on on people because yeah it's not like city council meetings are the most exciting thing in the world they usually cover a lot of minuscule topics about like the budget for fixing roads or uh, a new like zoning initiatives or you know like there's a quick trip that's being built on the corner of this intersection and they need like a permit to sell Mm. (laughs) i don't know energy drinks and so they have (laughs) to go to um so those that's it's not the most exciting stuff but um i think it's still useful to keep the pressure on them and just to find out who they are and Mm -hmm. what kind of things they represent and um if if you're excited about what they do just um i'm sure like there's ways to support them. We have municipal elections coming up this this year in mm-hmm. May in Plano and in cities all across like the U.S. Most sure. most they'll be electing like their city councilors and their mayors in, in May because that's how like municipal elections work. There they're on um, odd numbered years usually after a presidential or midterm election. So mm-hmm. it's like the work never stops of organizing. Um, it's just <laughs> but. Um, yeah, I think it gives us a lot of opportunities for finding people that that to get behind that support. You know, really, um, our values. Yeah, that's that's cool. Um, I I've wondered for a while. Uh, do you have like personal ambitions to ever like uh, get involved in politics yourself, like as a candidate or run for office or something like that, even locally? <laughs> no, I think right now I just want to get a job. <laughs> I'm looking for uh, a, a job, and I, I think I really enjoyed organizing i also love you know foreign policy and so trying sure. to figure out a way to merge those two um is 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 has been a really interesting process but yeah once once uh, i just want to have a job and get some experience yeah, yeah priorities <laughs> that's, exactly that's fair. but we you know meanwhile as i'm doing that like i definitely know that i am i'm having a really enjoying getting to connect with people working that are yeah. working on campaigns and hearing about their stories about why they support certain issues and it always excites me like for for example i i through some of my friends in sunrise dallas i found out about this um this place in like south dallas that was called shingle hill it's or basically shingle mountain yeah 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 so um it's just like horrifying to know that there could be uh, you know these kind of abuses of the environmental standards and that cause health issues for 
um, communities of color that are still happening like to this day and that didn't like start years ago but that started like really recently and that are allowed to happen and so that kind of stuff are things that are addressed and can be addressed by um, working within you know municipal and um, policy yeah um it's it's interesting you bring that up because uh, that's another similarly for me when when i found out about that for the first time yeah it was one of those things that um it's like it's been around for so many years and it's like i, I don't know it, it kind of woke me up to the fact that like like obviously we're from or i, I grew up in plano and we both lived there and like uh or, so like i'm more plugged into plano as a city than dallas as like a, a larger community oh yeah for but, sure for but, sure it, it shocks me sometimes how like little I know about like um, the uh, demographics of Dallas and like the um, larger sort of metroplex um, and, and like the, the issues that, that um, Dallas faces. Um, and, and I just, I feel like I've, I've, I've for a long time I was disconnected from that. And obviously like I don't live there right now, but um, mm-hmm. I still feel very like connected to that area. Yeah, of course. And I think there's always, there's, it's hard to find spaces where you can have discussions about politics because I think outside of D.C., like D.C. is really unique in the fact that you can just say what you believe and you talk about politics because everybody does. Like that's that's mm-hmm. what you discuss. Outside of D.C., it feels like it can feel more personal. And, and I, yeah. sometimes people can be intimidated by it and don't like they, not intimidated, by it, but it's like they, they may not want to engage because it seemed like a top topic that's more taboo. And mm-hmm. so finding places where you can really engage and have honest discussions with people about um, the impact of, of local politics, like those kind of spaces don't exist, um, or haven't existed, you know, as uh, for for some time. And, and now you're having community groups there of movements like Sunrise mm-hmm. um, and other organizations that are making it more visible and are making it easier for young people to get involved in these spaces because yeah. traditionally yeah the spaces that have existed have have been more exclusionary or really you know hard to access so um it's it's really neat that there are now more opportunities for uh, young people to get involved and make a difference yeah yeah that's uh, really well said um I feel like too, you know what I was saying about like, or what we were talking about, like sort of the veneer of uh, <laughs> or like uh, sort of unattainability that like, mm-hmm. I think for a long time elected office held. It's like the, mm-hmm. the, the if they're among the positive, if, if there are any of that is like sort of the um, opening up or a democratization of the process, <laughs> democracy being like, no pun intended, but like the, uh, it's like the accessibility of it. Like, I right. feel like these days, anybody, like, it's a lot easier for a, like, random person, like a young girl growing up in Plano to be like, oh, I could be, I can run and beat Van Taylor for his, like, congressional seat. Because he's, right. he's not any cooler than, like, my dad is, and I'm smarter than my, like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um, it's, it's, I feel like there's, that's the positive a- aspect of anything. Mm-hmm. Least, there's, like, barriers falling down. It's like, well, if so- somebody in, I, I don't know where marjorie taylor green is from but uh, mm-hmm. she like somebody growing up in her district could be like this lady's crazy and like mm-hmm. i could i could uh rubber stamp things better than her so it's like um <laughs> if anything it's it's uh, th- that's that's definitely a positive i think yeah and i think it's been really interesting too to learn more about how the democratic party as an institution functions and so one of the things that's been really interesting is trying to figure out 
you know, as you have people that are running as Democrats, how, what is the interplay between them and the party? And, and in Texas, like there's the state, the Texas Democratic Party, and then that's broken up and governed by each county's Democratic Party. So that's like a really interesting structure. And then the county party like provides support to candidates, but it's not all, always like organized. And so well, a lot of times you just have people that are running for local office that um, they're like left to fend for themselves and they have to do a lot of the outreach on their own and, and figure out how to um, like get a campaign going. And so those are things that like if you're looking to get involved and you want to make an impact, look at how you can get involved within your county party. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to um, become what's called a precinct chair. And mm -hmm. so those are basically every county is divided into precincts, which are like neighborhoods. And sure. um, both like the Republican Party has precinct chairs and the Democratic Party has precinct chairs. So basically each neighborhood gets assigned a chair and that person's supposed to be like someone that will help motivate and increase voter turnout for their particular party in that neighborhood. And so, but the precinct chairs also function as like a governing body for the county party. So they help elect like a county chair and they go to like the democratic convention when that happens for the state. Mm -hmm. And so those are, that's like one way that if you are like looking to get more involved in, in kind of pushing the democratic party to be more progressive, you can start mm -hmm. by, just seeing if your county has a precinct chair in your neighborhood. And if they don't, you can just sign up and become one. <laughs> Very cool. Great advice too. Um, <laughs> before I forget, I had a thought when you brought up uh, Shingle Hill or Shingle Mountain, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, the, the article that I saw that like first um, uh, like made me aware of it was in the Texas Observer. And it was written yeah. by uh, someone we went to school with. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Do you remember Amal Ahmed? Uh, no, not right now, but, um, <laughs> I think maybe cause I went to like elementary school with her. So I like, oh, okay. um, know her or I recognize the name more, but, um, right. I remember, uh, reading the article. I was like, that was really well written. And I saw the name and I was like, there's no way this is the same person. I like, wow, went to elementary that's amazing. School yeah. Yeah. So she, she's out there killing it. If anyone recognizes that name. Um, amazing. It's always cool to see people or to like, to have like an unexpected name pop up somewhere and be like, right. Oh, like people are out there like doing stuff. <laughs> it's cool. Of course. Of course. I think that's always awesome. Yeah. I have another friend who's um, like in broadcast journalism and like yeah. is like on TV all the time, like doing like reports. Oh, wow. and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's cool to, um, yeah, everyone's living Definitely. their lives, doing their thing. It's, uh, <laughs> it's inspiring. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah thanks for uh for joining me oh i i have some questions that i asked each of my guests um okay. first of all uh do you have a go-to uh snack food or you know if you're like a gas station do you have a go-to sort of like order that you have oh definitely i always get sandwich gummy worms those Ooh. are the best good call yeah i'm 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 a big fan um uh also do you have a are there any like uh <laughs> have you come across any like fun facts recently that you want to share with the the public at large yeah well right now i'm really invested in the song driver's license by olivia rodrigo <laughs> nice. and the ensuing drama that has come out of high school musical the musical the series so uh -oh. I, <laughs> it's not quite a fun fact but uh i love just like yeah i i i think it's been <laughs> really neat to see how these things play out in the public sphere and uh 
I just, um, not a fun fact, but just if you haven't heard Driver's License, it's a fabulous song. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I heard that it was like blowing up like so insanely fast that I was like, oh, I got to go like listen to it, hear what it sounds like. And I, I, I started playing the video and I could tell like what kind of song it was going to be. And I wasn't in the mood for that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I it's definitely it. a sad song. Yeah. And then, well, um, but then the person that, that, you know, that song is written about released his own song called Lie, Lie, Lie. And it was kind oh. of almost a retort to that. <laughs> and then because part of the music video is also like in a car with like neon purple and pink lights. And then um, the other girl that's mentioned in the song Driver's License, who's like the, this, the blonde girl, she released her own song kind of <laughs> like biting back. So there's wow. this whole drama that has stemmed out um, all based on High School Musical, the musical the series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow i didn't realize it was a diss track um maybe i'll yeah, I'll have to go check out the drama some sometimes like uh <laughs> i feel like these days uh it'll be like whatever drama's going on it's like oh these two like makeup gurus are like uh feuding again on twitter or something. yeah and, i like, remember <laughs> i remember tati and james charles feuding and then there was the YouTube drama between Jake Paul and Logan Paul, oh who God. are also horrible people. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I maybe I'm just not plugged into like those those networks, but like <laughs> so sometimes I'll see something's going on or like trending. It's like I don't even want to like the amount of effort it would take to like just become like caught up on whatever the background of this drama is. Is like I'm right, <laughs> like. I'll just take your word for it that these are probably bad people who hate each other mm-hmm. and they're way too like rich for their own good. So yeah, uh, but this is care. it. That's different. That doesn't apply to the the driver's license drama. Oh, this is, okay. it's, it's another level. It's that's like super extra. This is more like mellow. And, it's an enjoy. It's a good song. It's a good song, and it's it's a good show. Also, um, yeah. Guess I haven't seen it. <laughs> cool. Um, well, yeah. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Um, do you have anything to plug anybody to uh, anything to um, advertise to the the public out there? I know you just made a great argument for for the the, the TV show, but <laughs> just show up to your city council meeting if you can. <laughs> awesome. Um, no, I don't have any plugs other than that. Um, just if if uh, stay engaged and uh, yeah. stay active. Awesome. Couldn't couldn't put it better myself. Love it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us um, as always. And yeah, I, uh, uh, as always, the, the call is open. I extend the call to anybody who wants to come on. <laughs> hopefully it's less intimidating now that uh, a bunch of people have done it. Hopefully, you, hopefully you've recognized a few names here and there and uh, you can see I don't bite. <laughs> um, it's a lot of fun. And uh, like I said, I, it's just an excuse for me to talk to all my friends. So uh, <laughs> if you just want to call and chat too, that's cool too. Um <laughs> Awesome. Well, again, thank you, and uh, I'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye.